Hey, Fungo Banner fans, back with another episode of your Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner podcast. I am Eric Sorensen here in Ellensburg, Washington, getting ready for Jason and Kelly to jump on a podcast powered by Tri-City Safeguard. All the Fungo Banner swags made by Tri-City Safeguard and Devo Bats. Get on their website, devobats.com. Check out, and at checkout, Fungal Banner 10 is the code to put in for 10% off. Guys, get on there. Order fungos for your staff. Order yourself a fungo. You will not be disappointed with the quality and how great these bats swing. Barrel control is awesome. Ready to dive into this episode. Assistant coach and hitting coach at Biola University, CJ Baker. This is a dynamite episode. We jump into recruiting. Seventh inning stretch, we dive into hitting. Is is just too much to not have your notepad sitting here. Get yourself to where no one's gonna bother you, and just enjoy, guys. That's enough for me. Let's bring on coach. Hey, Banner fans, this is Glenn Walker from Auburn Mountain View, and you are listening to the Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner Podcast. Go Lions! All right, Banner fans, we're back with our guest for the week, C.J. Baker, assistant coach and hitting coach at Biola University. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you guys. Hey, we're excited to have you on. Uh, We know that you do listen every once in a while, we understand. So that's always good when we have our listener. Absolutely, absolutely Got a lot of hours on the road to fill, and you guys, you guys have some really great content, and it's always cool seeing some of the big names that are on there, and the guys that I I know or have like grown up being around and stuff, and and getting to listen to them share their wealth of knowledge. That's awesome. So you already know our first question. Then, what's your favorite fungo? You know, I up until recently, I I would have said the SSK, but the guys over at Devo uh, sent me sent me over a custom fungo and. Oh my God, the thing is unbelievable. I, I pulled it out of the box and I texted Chris right away over there. I was like, this is the best weighted fungo I've ever had. It's a 36 inch and made it right to my specs. It was, it's really nice. Uh, I don't know that I'll swing anything else. So those guys are awesome. Absolutely. I am so pumped that when the snow goes away to get ours out. Well, I'm, I'm excited to do anything in baseball when the snow goes away. So, well, as we like to talk about, talk us through your path into coaching, where you've been, what where you, what has gotten you to Biola University? Sure. Uh, so my my path is a little different. Uh, initially, I thought I was going to work in uh, politics long term. I started out of college uh, after I after I graduated from Cincinnati University um, as a speechwriter for the mayor of San Diego, and um, it took me all of about six months to hate politics, realize it just wasn't for me, and. Um, I called my parents up, said, Hey, I don't know what I'm going to do, but a buddy of mine, uh, his aunt runs a Dairy Queen in Redding, California. So I think I'm just going to try and figure it out. And I worked fast food for a little bit and, uh, actually got my start into coaching from, um, Dan Tating, who's the head coach at Simpson now really, really great dude had a opening for a, uh, Legion team. And so I, you know, lived with my best friend, worked fast food and coached a high school Legion team up in Reading and fell in love with coaching and ended up applying uh, to the University of Washington in the IL program there, which uh, I know Kelly knows really well. And um, it's a, it's, it was an awesome life changer for me. Um, And while I was there, I was a, a student assistant at Seattle University under Donnie Harrell and just kind of, I mean, fell in love. It was an all-star staff at the time from Mike Nato, uh, who's now a head coach, Jeff James, who's over there at San Bernardino with him. Uh, Greg Getz was the director of ops, and now he's coaching full-time at CLU. And then Elliot Cribby, who's had a big influence on my on my career path. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was an awesome experience. And from there, I... Uh, I was kind of looking at job opportunities and thinking about what I wanted to do. And I, I just kind of decided like, I'd never seen the other side of the country. There was this job at this vision two school called Lock Haven university in Pennsylvania. And I was, just said to myself, why not take a risk applied and uh, Jim Chester, who's the head coach at Gardner Webb now uh, was the head coach there at the time 
called me up. He's like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, this is the, you know, this is how the job looks. And I was like, heck yeah, packed my bags up and uh, drove in a little white van with my mom across the country and moved out to central Pennsylvania. And um, it was, it was awesome. Had a really great time. We had some success there. And um, yeah, that's kind of like where I started off in coaching and everything. It was just kind of by chance and took a risk in it. Yeah, coach. How could you talk about your time there as a young coach getting into the game? You know, what were some of the things of your struggles and, and what were some of the positives being a young coach getting in, into uh, kind of an assistant role right off, out of uh, college there for you? How was that like? Um, yeah, it was it was incredible. I So Jim is, is one of the best coaches uh, I've been around. He's very detail oriented, which was great for me. I I've, I've always had no problem being personable and relating to players, but the, you know, organization and management of a program uh, really kind of instilled that into me. And so it, that, that was a great experience. The tough part, uh, as most young coaches find out really fast, is the money. Um, it, you know, I was working at a YMCA opening up every morning at 4.30 in the morning. I would get a lot of my recruiting emails done at that time. And then about 9 a.m., roll right over to the office, start working there. Uh, we'd have practice and then I'd be, those guys wanted to work. I'd do extra hitting with those guys, um, you know, until sometimes 10 o'clock at night. And then we'd also do meetings and whatever. So it was a lot of really late nights and then a ton of early mornings and then just picking up odd jobs, camps, whatever. And Lock Haven's not really close to anything. So I'd be driving two and a half hours just to make a couple hundred bucks, drive back, get up the next morning and go. So yeah, the, there was some definite challenges, but, um, you know, Coach Chester gave me a lot of freedom and autonomy with with hitters and catchers and just kind of allowed me to, you know, do my thing. And uh, <laughs> there was some bumps in the road along the way, but he was an awesome guy to, to be able to learn underneath um, as an assistant. You know, Coach, what, what do you think that were some of the biggest sacrifices you had to make to get to where you're at today? Um, definitely, definitely some, some relationships, uh, of course you, you kind of dive into that and, uh, you know, I, I lost some friendships along the way because I just, I went a different direction and going across the country, it's, it's tough to keep in touch with everybody. And you really want to, like, I, I'm a, again, I'm personable and relationships are really important to me, but at some point I just said, like, I, I got to dive all the way into this. And so that was some, and time with family, um, with was a big one. I, I love my parents. I'm really close to them and not being able to see them. And then adding in a time zone difference to that really tough uh, and kind of always trying to be mindful of when I can call and 7am my times calling my mom to say what's up is, you know, waking her up and getting her grumpy to start her day. <laughs> um, and then, you know, sacrificing money, it, it's kind of tough as a young coach to look around and see your friends graduating and working from for Boeing and doing things that they love to do and going on vacations and stuff. And I'm trying to scrap for rent money at the time. So yeah, I mean, you, you sacrifice a lot. Um, but you know, it's, it's all worth it. And the experiences and the people and honestly going through those times has, has made where I am right now that much easier. Um, and, and it's, it's all been kind of worth it to this point. So we've always liked to talk about the ties of the Pacific Northwest and that's a big part. And it's a special community, uh, even high school, all the way through college, some of the connections you've made, how have they helped you along the way from guys from the PNW? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, one, it, it's amazing how even when you go out east, somebody's got a tie to the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I've, I've been introduced to some awesome people who, who've, who were either out there or recruiting out there, working out there that were like, oh my gosh, yeah, I spent you know extended time out that way. Um, <clears throat> but connections wise, I, I kind of look at like Coach Cribby has been somebody I've really leaned on heavily in my career, um, especially through some of the tougher times. And Cribby's a, a guy who has never had a problem giving me a kick in the butt and uh, has no problem telling you how it is and gives gives me a dose of reality when I need it. But he, uh, he's been a guy that throughout my career I've been able to kind of lean on and get advice from and um, just the the base of really great coaches who, who have um, just experienced kind of doing everything that as a young coach you're going through that you're able to lean on. And same with coach Harrell, uh, especially early in my career, I was able to, to give Donnie calls and he'd be more than happy to give me advice on things. And, um, 
and use one of his like quick sayings that'll make you laugh. And uh, that's always been a, a good thing. And then on the recruiting side of things, it kind of kicked off right away. My first uh, signee at Lock Haven was a kid out of Wenatchee Valley that um, I, I knew from a player that I'd played summer ball with. It was his brother and he came out and ended up hitting 400 for us at Lock Haven. And so the, the Pacific Northwest is, has definitely like lent itself heavily to me throughout my career. It's, it's been kind of awesome. I know you're enjoying the sunshine of California right now, but is it a, is it a path for you that, you know, you're, you're down there enjoying your kids to be on the field and we're in snow right now in Ellensburg, but uh, is that someplace you, you want to get back up here to the Northwest eventually? Yeah, 100%. Um, I, uh, I love it up there. I, I actually was telling our pitching coach, Ben Cordy, um, right before I left for Christmas break, I was like, dang, I missed the rain. And if you say that to a lot of people down here, they're like, you're crazy. Like <laughs> it rains a little bit and there's cars swerving all over the place. And I, uh, I loved it. I, I got to go home for Christmas and it rained almost every day that I was back on Whidbey Island. And, um, I, I just, I enjoyed every second of it. And there's, there's also just something special about the Pacific Northwest and the camaraderie and the, the coaches and how close knit everybody is up there. I think it's, it's one of those places that's just incredibly special. Um, and, and the friendships that you build up there are, are really lifelong. And, uh, I, I even, you know, coach Gow and I go back a long way and, um, I won't see him for, for a long time and then run into him at, at whatever a Seattle U camp or whatever it might be. And it's like, we never left, you know, and there's just ribbon and, you know, smack talking and stuff like that that goes back <laughs> almost now that I think about it, almost a decade. Um, so there's just, there's no place like it. And I, I really hope that someday I'm fortunate enough to make my way back up there. It's, it's really a special place. Yeah. It's kind of funny that you come full circle here. You talk about Woodby Island in rain and I'll throw in a good story with Eric and I and my bachelor party before my <laughs> wedding. We were in, we were Woodby Island in August with the, the funds that come every year up there. And we're at the, uh, at the uh, Port Townsend ferry dock there in Coopville and, in an epic, epic windstorm, rainstorm. And it's the end of August. Like these things don't happen in August and power's going out everywhere. Like we had a nice night in the dark, a candlelit bachelor party. It's probably more something you'd see in a bachelorette party, yeah. uh, but made the, me the best out of it. And that's, and that's kind of what, what we do best up here, right? Is that everything's not roses and sunshine and things are going to be tough, but, but you're used to, we've talked about this a lot on this, podcast about you're used to rolling with the punches and what you have and and making the best out of it and, and I think that's where the kid from this area and the coach for that matter is a little bit different because they're built you know to be able to roll with adversity because um, we're used to dealing with it on a daily basis no 100 percent. I think the there's there's a level of grit I guess for lack of a better term that that comes out from that area and the kids that I've, I've coached, even whether it's on the other side of the country, um, at Bucknell, we had a, you know, a couple Pacific Northwest guys or at Lock Haven. Like I said, we had the kid who I was from Wenatchee. Um, they're just the snow, not a big deal. The rain, not a big deal. If there's a late practice change because of weather or whatever, not a big deal. They've been, they've kind of been through it all. And, um, and then, yeah, like you said, on the coaching side of things, being able to say like, okay, like this didn't really work out the way I planned it, but um, I've definitely had to figure out a lot worse than this. So you're kind of uh, just, I feel like the most versatile um, of, of the places I've been. So yeah, that's. Well, let's dive into recruiting a little bit with you, Siege. And, and uh, you know, I think we've talked about kind of this full circle process right now, but you, you talked about how, um, your Northwest start helped you back East with your recruiting now, but now being back East and being, you know, in, in California, you know, do you feel like you have a, a recruiting network that's, you know, better than others because you've been to different places and, and do you still lean on connections throughout the country, um, to find talent to, to come to Viola? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and let me tell you, it's a lot easier to call an East coast kid and say, Hey, come to California than it is, uh, to call a West coast kid and say, it's going to be 30 something degrees here for most of your season. But, um, so no, definitely it, it's kind of cool. I, I do got to give some credit to the Northeast guys. Um, 
the the guys out there are really honest. Uh, they're never going to really like hide how they feel about a player. If they really like a guy, they'll tell you they really like a guy. Whereas you run into some pockets out here where everyone, you know, they want to keep their, their recruiting base a little bit secret. Um, but no, I've, I've definitely been able to, to kind of, I, I guess through my network, um, call somebody and, and say, Hey, have you heard of this kid? And if they have great, and if they haven't, they can point me in the direction of somebody that has. Um, and I, I haven't really had a hard time, like getting a hold of, of somebody that knows somebody that, that helps me recruit a kid from out, from out East. And, um, even through, through working at Viola, I, I managed to bring, you know, one of the kids who was over at Bucknell, um, over this way. And then a, a guy that I had a coach back in summer ball, uh, in the NYCBL four years ago, he'd pitched at Mercyhurst in, in a couple world series and division two level for them. And now he's out in California and the phone call was legitimately like, Hey, you grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, and you've been pitching in Erie, Pennsylvania for, for your whole college career. How would you like to be in Los Angeles? And he was like, yeah, say less. And, uh, and so that's kind of cool. And when we get emails from guys out in, uh, you know, anywhere along the East coast, I, I usually, I usually know somebody in that state that can kind of give me some feedback on who the kid is. And, you know, coach Calhoun's got his, his connections up in that area too. So <laughs> honestly with our staff, we cover a pretty darn good chunk of the United States. It's, uh, it's kind of cool. Coach, what, would, what are some of the traits that you look for in a prospect uh, joining your guys' staffs over, over at Biola University? Yeah, so I uh, I, I kind of like the idea of, of playing fast. Um, I, I like really good athletes uh, and, and kids who have pretty good poise in different situations. And kind of we, we go back to the what we were saying about a lot of Pacific Northwest kids and that, that grit factor. They tend to be a little bit tougher and um, and – and then they also understand how to play different different facets of the game, whether it's being able to hit for power or run or whatever. They have to play in all different types of weather, so they kind of know how to do things. So I, as most coaches, like, like you want the complete package, but um, you know some of the intangibles are how does a kid handle themselves in adversity. Um, you know, it, it's really easy to look good in a showcase setting, but like I, I kind of like seeing how kids I'm interested in look on some of their bad days. Um, and, and how do they handle that? And, you know, a couple of the other things that I look at are interactions with parents are really important. Um, I've been on a couple of recruiting visits with kids who don't treat their parents well, and that's kind of a red flag for us. So some of those other things that aren't necessarily on the field, um, as much as like, can I get a feel for how this kid's going to relate with our team here or how they're going to be able to handle adversity, Coach Calhoun's, uh, uh, you know, demands a lot out of our team and has high standards. And if a kid's got a bad day and they throw a tantrum or whatever, they're probably just, they're not going to be a good fit for this program where there's a lot of, you know, demand to, to perform at a high level or to at least practice at a high level. Um, so those are some of the things, you know, we, we really like good athletes. We want to play fast and we want to be able to hit the ball hard. But then also on your worst day, can you still bring something to the table in your in your energy and the attitude you bring? Um, shoot, we had the kid today in our scrimmage who, who closed in two college World Series, gave up a home run that was a walk-off. And after the scrimmage, yeah, he's obviously not happy with himself because he expects more, but he's he's there as an energy guy for his teammates and still just kind of seeing what he can do to, to be better off that performance instead of sulking in it. And I think that's the kind of kid that, that we really need in this program and what I look for. Yeah, I think that, you know, as a high school coach, we always emphasize, you know, it, talents is important. But, you know, to our young guys, always the importance of their attitude plays into a significant role in everything that we do in life, you know. And I, and I think that's so important that sometimes as coaches, we sometimes miss that angle at the high school level, right? We want that kid to go out and impound for strikes and hit the big ball. But, you know, when it, things don't go that his way and he's out there throwing a tantrum, you know, we just like, oh, you know, he's just having a bad day. And we kind of, you know, become that snowplow kind of type of parent. And I think that it's important that, you know, especially those kids, those prospect kids, you know, wanting to move on. Yeah, that's a plays into a significant role of you going to on to play in collegiate, you know, baseball or just finishing out your four years of high school baseball and that's it, you know? So that's solid. Yeah. 
and uh, it, the the other thing I'll throw in there too is um, if if any kids are listening to this, if you fly out, just run hard to first base. Um, I can't tell you how many high level coaches I've been around who will be at an event, and if a kid just like jogs it out or is pissed at themselves, and I mean I've seen kids in a World Woodback Classic not even run, they'll just kind of head back to the dugout. That you just get your name crossed off, and it, and you know to that point, you don't know what the kid's going through. It could just be bad timing. They could be a great kid and just having a frustrating day, or they're tired from a flight. But we don't know that. And I, I've seen a lot of kids just get crossed off because of bad body language or whatever. And and that's that's the big thing is like you just never know who's watching. And I've I've heard that kind of cliche term since I was in high school. But cliches are cliches for a reason, right? Like they're very real, and um, you never know who's watching or when or whatever. So yeah, it's that's all important stuff. AJ, talk to me about the uh, the good times and the bad times, and we all have stories and and things of learning the the recruiting side of things, right? It's an art, just like a salesman. You're you're, you're learning kind of the angle. What for for the coach that's getting started in there? What what are some of the do's and don'ts that uh, that you've picked up, you know, in your time as a recruiter? And you can you can give stories if you want, or or maybe just some broad statements of things that you think work well and that they don't work well for you as you've, as you've started. So this is, this is kind of a, a funny topic and, you know, I don't know whether I'm wrong or right on this, but where I'll start is um, dress the part. If you're going to go out and recruit, uh, I've gotten pictures from friends of mine who has a guy, you know, who's a college coach dressed in like baggy sweats wearing the the travel style backpack and kind of looking unkept standing next to um you know the the high level division one coach who's wearing you know dress pants and a polo tucked in whatever and um and that kind of stuff matters Uh, as much as appearance of a of a kid and the body language and stuff like that matters for us as coaches it also matters you know how you look representing your program as a coach and you're out recruiting so that's that's kind of a big one for me is i i try not to i try not to go out on the road or do anything like that if i'm if i'm if i'm not dressed the way that i would want my program represented um and then understanding as an assistant too like I represent coach Calhoun. Um, and as you guys know, you've had him on and, um, coach Gal, you, you guys have had a longstanding relationship. Uh, Callie takes himself very serious, uh, especially in the recruiting aspect. Um, and I got to understand that I represent him. So if I go out and I'm either a slouch or, you know, not dressed right or whatever, like that, that's just a bad look on him. Cause he's the guy that hired me and, and I mean, writes my paychecks. So, I, I always want to kind of have a good representation of the program there. Um, and then too, like <laughs> on visits and, and stuff like that, just make sure you kind of know the parents' names, little things like that really matter. Uh, it makes a big difference for the family. So we, we like to um, print out like a little uh, play sheet of just the books for the kid, where they live, high school, parents' names, um, down to like travel coaches, you know, stuff like that makes a big difference for the kids and the family. And it kind of makes them seem like, yeah, I, I really care. Um, and I think that's really important for families is to feel wanted and like, oh, these coaches have really done their research on us. And it makes them feel less like just another name on the board and more like somebody that you really want to bring in. Well, let's dive right into the seventh inning stretch portion of the podcast and we'll get into, into some hitting. And it's a, a topic. The first question I want to ask is I'm excited about because we've started workouts here and, you know, we had a big swing of seniors in our high school that I'm coaching. And, and I, I'm looking at the kids in our team and I'm thinking, this is a whole new squad. Like I, we didn't get that chance to get these guys. So when you're assessing hitters for the first time, maybe fresh in your program or even on the recruiting trail, what are some of the things you'd look for and some of the absolutes that you like to teach to your hitters? Yeah. When, uh, when I'm, when I'm watching hitters, uh, whether it's recruiting or even kind of taking a look at our guys for the first time, how they take pitches is actually a really big thing for me. Um, you can kind of get a, a feel for a guy's timing and how well they see the ball based on how they take a pitch, right? If it looks rigid and kind of panicky, you kind of, you kind of get a feel for, okay, maybe this kid's just not ready to compete at a high level or whatever it may be. So how, how a kid takes a pitch, especially when I'm recruiting uh kind of actually makes a difference for me how comfortable they look in the box 
And then uh, from there, I kind of moved to balance, you know, is, are they very stuck or are they, you know, moving way too linear where they're out on their front side. So balance becomes like checkpoint number two for me. And then I kind of work up from there. Um, what is, what does the handload look like? How big of a move do they make? You know, where does the back go once they start their swing after they get to launch? And um, so it, it all kind of works up, but it stems from how good is their timing off the rip and timing something that is tougher to teach. And it takes a little bit more time, but, um, but the less I, you know, we have to spend working on that, the, the easier it becomes for us to kind of mold a hitter from there. Coach, how, how important do you think it is for a coach not to assert too much information to a hitter? I feel like sometimes, you know, you get these coaches that have these model type viewpoints of a hitter. If that hitter is not hitting that model style, he wants to change his hands. Well, even down to his foundation. So is, is there a line that you, th- do you believe that coaches probably go too far with players that absolutely take a good potential hitter to almost a zero average kind of guy? Yeah. And, and that's, and that's tough, right? Cause we, we want to help as coaches. We, we really want to help and we, we want to get them to, to get the most out of themselves. And I definitely have a style. And if I was to build a hitter from the ground up, I think you could look at that hitter and be like, okay, I get exactly what he wants, but not everybody fits into that style. And that's one of the toughest things through my career that I've had to accept. And I have, I, you know, I'm not really big on hitting off the backside, but there's guys who flat out hit better like that. So instead of saying like, you need to fit to my style, it's okay. How can we adjust things to, to fit to your style? And, um, you know, that, that goes with the a checklist that I, I really like, and I forget who kind of taught it to me, but you got to ask them first, like, were you on time and are you swinging at good pitches? And, you know, and if those two things are, are checked, yes, and they're still struggling consistently, then maybe we can make some adjustments mechanically. But oftentimes kids just aren't swinging at the right pitches or they're just flat out not on time. And, um, and I, I think that especially with all the information that's out there now, it's so easy to, to overdo it, right. Overdo it. And, and we have such a limited time with these kids and especially, you know, at the college level, we're, we're constantly working with big groups of hitters and Mm -hmm. it's, it's so easy to look at all the information out there and want to just like <laughs> regurgitate all of it and be like, oh, I got really excited about this because I, I saw it on Twitter or whatever. And and then that becomes too much for like the big group. When in reality we we do and I think a really good job here with with teaching team hitting and team offense and try and adjust to what the hitter needs as an individual instead of just saying, you struck out three times today. Let's break it all down and, and, and build up a whole new thing. Maybe we'll try hitting left-handed instead of right today. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think you're, I think you're spot on there. I think there's definitely a line where it's just like, it's too much. And then with that kids will shut down real fast. Mm-hmm. If it's, you know, they're getting too much information and it's overload and, and they just are like, I can't figure this out. And then that's kind of where you get that break in relationship with the kids too. And that becomes a really tough, tough hill to, climb back up how much do you think the uh being on time and, and swinging a good pitch is you, you mentioned both those things for you are, are are those mutually exclusive things or do you think a lot of pitch selection can be cleaned up on timing alone what have you found in that yeah definitely and i i think um something that cody atkinson said a couple of years back really made a big difference for me where you you see a lot of hitters that need to, to see to go and they end up being late to pitches because they feel like, and, and when I was in high school and I was the most average to the below average player I can think of, but I remember thinking like, okay, I need to see this pitch before I start to make my move. And Cody said that we really want to be able to go to see. And that made a huge difference for me is, is if I think I'm going to go to see, I've already started my move forward. And all of a sudden the ball for a lot of guys, when they start thinking that is like a beach ball, they're like, Oh my God, I don't actually need to sit back here and wait to see the pitch. I can actually like start my move based off of the pitcher. And then I can kind of see every pitch that's coming. And so I, I think you're spot on right there that timing can clean up a lot of pitch selection and um, getting guys to actually feel on time is like a, 
whole new world for them. It's like seeing an HD for the first time for a lot of our guys. Um, and yeah, so I think that makes a huge difference. How do you show them that the guys are on time, not on time? I was watching ABCA with, with one of our assistants um, a couple weeks back with Monty Lee, and he's talked about recording video from a side angle um, and about guys having initial moves occurring kind of at hand drop and then having that forward move that you talk about occur as hand going forward and then being able to adjust if a guy's late or early to be able to kind of adjust that move for that individual hitter. Do you guys do anything specific there with, with camera angles or anything that you watch for guys to be in their own on time? Yeah. And I, I think that with all the technology that's available in the world, the one thing that um, we all have, regardless of the program you're at and your budget is your camera, right? Like you can always pull your iPhone out or whatever you have and you can video a guy. And I think that that's, that's the best tool that we've got. Um, and yeah, side angle is, is really big for me because you can kind of get guys to see when they're panicking. And um, I, I always do when we work on timing with a guy who's consistently late or doesn't really know how to feel it, I think it's way easier to start early and then work back from there. And so we, we talk about front toss. We always want to walk into our front toss. We don't want to just be stationary because there's so many like variables if you're just stationary and go that they can be messed up for hitters. So we always take a step into it that just allows the hitter to have a little bit of rhythm and go. And so I, with one of our first basemen last year, we started like, hey, as soon as the guy's hand goes back from his hip, that's when I want you to start kind of your initial move. And then you're going to start moving forward. And he was like, dang, I feel super early. So I was like, okay, then we'll work back just a little bit from there. Now when the hand's all the way back, that's when you'll start your initial move. And it just clicked. It, all it took was that one pitch for him to be like, that's it. That's the feel. And then from there, you've got the video of that moment, right? Like where that all worked out for them. And, um, and they can always kind of revert back to that video and say, okay, this is what it looked like when I was really on time. And you see the body just kind of naturally work into really good angles and contact point and everything. And then um, from, from there, you can see the bad swings. And when they've panicked or when they're catching a ball too deep or they're not on time, and you can show them those things and they're like, okay, this is what it looks like. And now I remember the feel on these videos too. And so that, the, that guy and the couple of guys that we've really threw on the timing side of things, they know right away. We'll, we'll even be doing BP and one of our hitters will take a panic swing and they'll be like, dang, I was late on that one. And it may have a good result, but they know what the feeling of late is and it's not the optimal result for them. So I, I, I think, yeah, video to me today is still like one of the best tools we can use. Absolutely, because the proof's in the pudding, right? I mean, it, it's pretty obvious. 100%. How often do you let guys go back to the video? Is it something you want to kind of be cautious with, or is it just whatever you want, whenever you want? So it that that part's interesting. At at Bucknell, um, we had a lot of guys who were super brains, high academic, and they were over analytical to a fault. So they would, you know, you get a guy who goes nine for 10 in MVP and there's five or six balls run out of the yard there. And they just sort of like, they can't get over those two bad swings that might've just been miss hits. And, um, and with those guys, I, we had to dial back video just a little bit. And when we did watch video, we made sure it was myself or our other assistant who watched it with them just to kind of talk them through like, Hey, you just miss hit this one here. Here we've got guys who, who I think are mature. We've got a really old group here, um, and they're able to kind of take all their video in and process it and say, okay, I really liked my feel here. I just, you know, mishit the ball. And with, with that maturity is, is the, kind of, the, I think, the freedom to be like, hey, here's all your video. Let me know what you think of it. If you've got questions, let's talk. Um, but we're, we're blessed with a, an older group of really good baseball players. Um, but yeah, I, th I think that the the kids who think a lot, they tend to be the ones that really just want to figure out the why to everything instead of just looking at it and being like, ah, I just, I kind of messed that one up. You know, coach, we have a lot of, uh, you know, young coaches or listeners on our podcast here. And we also have a, some coaches that have been coaching for many years. What could you tell that coach that's listening who isn't maybe that type of a heating coach per se, Maybe that young coach that doesn't know and really know how to, you know, maybe instruct their hitters. But what would be some of the the points of teaching their 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 players 
to develop them into better hitters? What are some of those things that you would emphasize on? Um, I would watch a lot of really good hitters. Uh, that's kind of where I, where I started before I had a good group of coaches that I could text and ask questions to. I watched a lot of really good hitters. And from there, I started watching good college hitters because it, it's easy to look at the elite and say, okay, this is how Aaron Judge moves. And, and then you'll get kind of met sometimes with, well, he's built different than everybody else. Um, so then I, I would look back at the, the Casey Martins of the world or the Heston Kiersteds of the world, both really great players at Arkansas and say, okay, here's an 18-year-old kid that can relate to the 18-year-old kids that I'm working with. How are they moving? And, um, and for me, when I first started out, I wanted to, to feel those same movements. So I'd even videotape myself from time to time, which God, I don't do any anymore. I don't, I don't think I could take a swing without hurting myself. But, uh, at the time I, I wanted to be able to feel those things. And, um, and then I, I, from a young age would talk to some of the better players at the year I was at Seattle U we had Brock Carpenter, Dalton Hurd, um, Sheldon Stover, some really great uh, hitters of that time. And I would talk to them about like, Hey, what do you think in here? Like, what are you feeling? And that was kind of my first start into, into like, cool. These are what some of the better hitters that I've seen so far are thinking and feeling what they like to work on. And I think that that takes a level of humility, I guess, <laughs> again, lack of a better term, but being able to say, Hey, like I may be in a position of, of a, of a coach, so to speak here, but I kind of want to learn what my guys are feeling. And, um, and I kind of was able to grow from there. And then I've been fortunate from, from that point to have reached out to Cody Atkinson and Kurt Nelson, a couple of the guys from up that way and built really good friendships with them. So from, from there, I've just been able to kind of lean on those guys when I've got bigger questions. What are some of those kind of elite moves you, you talked about working with looking at professional hitters and college hitters what are some of those those movement patterns that you look for? And maybe we can focus on more of like the load phase of things. Um, but what are some of those patterns that, you know, can they be taught or maybe some of the natural abilities that those guys have? But I don't know. Let's focus on the, the ones that you feel that can be taught. What are those elite movements that you feel like you need to teach to your guys and you have the ability to teach to your guys? So I, I think that one of the things that, that we talk about is is really – getting to balance at, at all times. Um, as a young kid and as a like an athlete in your prime, all your lifts and everything you do is meant to be so explosive, right? A lot of times that explosion turns into just wild movements of like uncontrolled aggression towards a baseball because I just, I want to throw everything I've got at it. And um, getting, getting kids to dial back a little bit. And some of our really good hitters here have had success thinking about 60%. Um, and I, I took that from Kurt Nelson. Um, Kurt talked to a lot of his guys about like, hey, let's take your max and let's think 60% here. And it helps those guys naturally move a little bit more controlled. Um, and, and with that, we talk about getting into the glute and using the glute to control your move forward. And that way, you know, you feel under control of that move forward the entire time. It's not just a stride, a step or a lunge into that position, it's, it's a tangible thing that I can feel glute activation and carrying my move forward. Um, and I, I think that you see a lot of professional hitters really control that move forward, um, using that part of their body really successfully. And they do it at a really high level. Um, and from there too, I, I know coach Calhoun hammers in on this. I think the hinge is really important. You see a lot of hitters, regardless of their posture, how they stand, they end up getting into a natural hinge and, once they make that move and Donnie Harrell used to say like makes his eyes closer to the strike zone and that's like a, a thing that he would say that that back then I didn't realize it now but he was talking about the hinge and that that was his way of describing it and every single guy that I've watched that's a really good hitter does that same exact thing they get into that position and then from the time they get down it's how elite can I rotate from there um, and, and how quickly can I rotate on a pitch once I've decided to go on it? And so I think, yeah, just starting with the ability to get into the glute and, and work on carrying that move into balance so that we're adjustable on multiple pitches is a really big thing for, for hitters. Well, Siege, talk to us about, uh, talk to us about kind of plate discipline, zone awareness, you know, you don't have to divulge into your full, you know, 
hitting plan. I'm not sure how many PacWest schools will be listening into this episode here, but but talk about some of your, you know, <clears throat> some of your approaches you talk with your guys and then maybe some drills and, and some feels that you kind of put into place for guys to really feel zone awareness and what they're looking like to match those approaches. Uh, sure, absolutely. I I think that it all kind of goes back to are we swinging at the right pitches, right? And so zone control then becomes of the utmost importance. Um, and early in the fall, figuring out what guys are really good at hitting. So charting for us, like exit velocities out of certain zones. Okay, you know, player A who looks like he may be able to pull the inside pitch really well, and that's what he should do with his body. He may be really good at hitting that backside gap, and he may be more comfortable extending on a pitch away than getting to a pitch in. Okay, so now with with that, let's talk to that guy about what it looks like in, in that proper slot, like what a pitch looks like coming out of the pitcher's hand that's going to be in, in your perfect tunnel. Um, and so we'll set up like three baseballs, and we'll have guys pretty much sit in zones that cover those three baseballs during batting practice. And one of the things that I, I really liked that um, stole from stole from Mizzou and kind of going a little segue here, I think the best coaches are the best thieves, right? You know, you take ideas yeah. from everybody. I think kickout rounds are really important if you get guys who will hold each other accountable. So the guy outside of the cage, behind the cage, is making sure that the dude hitting is, is staying in that zone. And if he swings at a pitch that's even one baseball outside of what we're looking for, hey, your, your round's done. Then it kind of gets them to lock in on like, only need to stay disciplined in this. And I think that tool right there, and um, especially if your guys are able to to kind of have that competitive edge and, and be honest with each other, I think that right there is is you know such an awesome drill for guys. And then having the visualization of like, I can track a pitch in all the way and know what it looks like now re- repeatedly when that ball is covering that that specific zone using those three baseballs. I think that's huge. Um, and getting guys to tunnel properly and see what it looks like coming out of the pitcher's hand is is all really big. What are some drills or equipment you guys use for that that tunneling aspect? You know, I, I know things have gotten into virtual reality now. I'm not sure if you guys have partaken in that. I, I know it's something I'm definitely curious in. But but whether it's machine or 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 a, a pitcher throwing or, or front toss, what are kind of some tunneling things that you you kind of impress upon your guys to teach them those traits? Yeah, so we'll we'll do early on a lot of machine work. Um, I think that machines kind of naturally create panic for guys. And so getting them to kind of work out of that panic is, is really big for them. Um, but we'll set the machines on whatever zone we're sitting in and we'll get them to just repeatedly see that zone. So we really want them to have success in those zones early. And, and that's, that's going to be our main goal is like, Hey, we're sitting looking middle away right here. Okay. So that machine's just going to feed that repeatedly. So they're kind of building that, that hand eye or, or whatever you want to call it and being able to visualize that pitch coming into that zone. And then with machines being as imperfect as they are, we then can set up that machine down the middle and it's going to kind of run a ball occasionally one way or the other. And they have to make that decision then on like, okay, this is exactly the pitch that I've seen over and over and over again, or this one's, you know, kind of tailing in on me a little bit. And I think that that can be really invaluable. And then, you know, I fancy myself a pretty good BP guy, but uh, I can be a little bit all over the zone there. And so we, we still keep those baseballs out. And I think that live arm BP is really great from, from coaches and it kind of just the human error aspect of it makes it valuable to players because it kind of replicates what they'd see in game. Right. And um, that's one of the things that you have to get players over is that, Oh man, that, that pitch wasn't exactly what I was looking for. Well, then why'd you swing at it? You know, you're not going to get that pitch every single time you're in a game. So this is a great place to practice that. So that's been kind of valuable to us too. Um, We don't do as much tunneling stuff on front toss. You know, it'll be there in the small group setting, but it's not as much of a a thing that we're really focused on um, during that aspect of drills. If I, if I can say one thing though, it's not necessarily specific to tunneling, but if, if you don't have your hitters using tap balls, um, get them right away. They're, they're awesome for connection and everything. I don't, we have one right here. I can show you guys. I know you're recording, but um, <laughs> just how excited I get 
if you guys don't have these things right here, uh, the tap balls, they're awesome. They're really great for connection. Yeah, we'll put them on our guys' shoulders so they can kind of see rotation here and know what it's like to be connected all the way through. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that's a, that's a really big thing. We ordered five or six of them and the, the tap balls have been really good for guys and it, it gives you immediate feedback. You can take BP using them. Um, again, another thing that I think has really helped our hitters. We have, uh, you know, a couple high level guys who they need to use them every single day before they start taking BP and they'll, uh, they, they can't do anything without them. So if you haven't invest in some of those, they're really great. So talk us through that a little bit more. You want the low budget option. Sorry, Eric. You You want the low budget option. You can steal volleyballs from the locker room in the uh, rec center at your local uh, facility. Yeah, I've I've been known to, to buy a couple three dollar dodgeballs and deflate those too. The Walmart bins with the big tall yeah. ones, those balls. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. If you guys don't know right now, exactly. Because yeah. uh, we use those in the pitching side of things, but the hitting side, I, I just uh, let's dive into that a little more because I'm kind of getting excited about that. You know, just sure. What is it that you're looking for? I mean, it, you were showing us on there. It was you know <laughs> holding the elbow down or whatnot where you, where you had the ball at. But talk us through some of that stuff. Yeah. So so for for guys who may have a problem with um, getting a little bit disconnected or, or like early extension on pitches, we, we kind of will throw the, the ball down on the back shoulder and have them hold the, the barrel tight to it. And basically when they swing on like their ideal swing path, this ball is going to go to the offside fielder, right? So if I'm right-handed, I want the tap ball to on release go towards second base. Or if I'm left-handed inversely, I want it to go towards shortstop. If they, if they carry that too far um, to the pull side, then we know they're, they're kind of over-rotating, and those tend to be the guys who flare off balls to, to right field or hook baseballs. Um, and it, it's such great immediate feedback, and, um, and, it, and it's a really good field work. And we use them a lot specifically with, with left-handed hitters who throw right-handed. Um, they tend to end up fighting against that, that throwing arm, right? Because this, if I'm a left-handed hitter, this arm is is what I do everything with. It's it's always going to want to push back and take control here. Um, and and guys who have that dominant lead arm end up ripping off or slicing baseballs. So it, it just helps guys stay connected. Um, it's hands down one of my favorite things to use for hitters. Well, I love it's an instant result for the coach. You know, mm-hmm. in the Keegan, t- that's why you know you didn't do that that's what we're not working for. Or that's exactly how we want you to do it. Exactly that. And then um, throwing an L screen on a guy's back, probably those are probably my two favorite drills just to help with extension. Again, just getting guys to actually feel getting through a baseball. Cause if they panic and they come off of a ball too early, they're going to get that instant feedback of that smack of the bat on the L screen behind them. And it, it's so funny to watch how guys like, this L screen's really three to four inches on their backs and they'll start to kind of get that like panic feel of, I really don't want to hit that. So I'll be like, okay, take a swing at like 30% here and feel what this feels like. And, uh, and, and that way, you know, like I'm not going to hit it. And then once they start to ramp up, like once in a while, yeah, they'll panic and they'll spin and they'll smack it. But if they stay on their line, they'll be able to actually extend up and through that baseball. And again, immediate feedback, you see guys with flare ball flights or, hard hook spin ball flights turn to just true backspin like immediately. So those, those two things have been huge difference makers for, for hitters for me. Do you coach, uh, do you find, I mean, so you guys are using those tap balls like on hitting days. Is that like the kind of, you're saying the first thing that you guys come out, you throw those out there, you got a few guys that grab them. Is that kind of how you guys are instilling those tap balls into your practice? Yeah. So uh, routines are a really big thing for me, um, with, with hitters or with all things that I guess you, you do really well in life. You have like a routine about it. Right. Um, so we, we've kind of developed a menu of things that guys can kind of pick from based on what their needs are physically and guys will be able to just go out and, and get that feel work in before they start hitting. And I, I think it's really important, um, for guys to just do what's necessary for the body to get warmed up in order to go perform a high level activity, uh, going right into the cage for a, a lot of these guys, um, without taking any type of time to get their bodies ready or swing, right. Or feel right. 
it's it can be detrimental to their swings for that day. Mm. So yeah, we we like I said, we we're really big on routine and and guys getting properly like into their field work before they hit is huge. And I mean, I, I think back to we played a series against Arkansas when I was at Bucknell, um, and it was a really tough series. <laughs> we I, I had my face all over my my friends' group texts uh, when we were losing like thirty four to seven or something like that. And um, but getting to see how those guys prepared, they would go you know, field base running field group. And then they had a field group prior to being in the cage and in their corner, they had medicine balls, uh, punching bags some PVC pipes and some, some tap balls. And that would be a, an independent station prior to them actually getting into their cage work. And I remember talking to their hitting coach about it and he's like, yeah, it's, you know, really big for our guys to make sure that they have their routine down and they get their field work in prior to getting on the field. And I was blown away away by that and kind of the attention to detail there for for the hitters so that that was a big game changer for me and and why i do what i do with our guys absolutely well coach i think that kind of wraps things up for what we got here tonight we really appreciate you coming on the fungo banner with us and spending an hour of your time and and talking some baseball with us absolutely it's an absolute blast is there anything you want to leave any party messages you want to leave for the fungo banner fans out there? Um, one always stay tuned in. Cause even if you can take like one little thing from what a coach says, it, it's a huge deal. Everybody's got kind of something you can learn from. And for all the younger coaches out there, it is an absolute grind, but don't worry about the, the financial part of anything or anything like that. Just go for the ride. And if you're passionate about it, it'll, it'll take you to really great places. You're hundred percent correct. Cause I've been taking notes and I know that we got better as hitting coaches tonight. Just, just <laughs> listening to this one. So coach, enjoy that California weather. Good luck this season. And uh, thank you again. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Jason and Kelly and I'll be right back in the bullpen to wrap this thing up. All right. We're in the bullpen to wrap this thing up. Kelly, how about you lead us off? Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of good stuff to unpack. And I, I think the the biggest thing that I take away is just the passion that not only CJ but other people have had um, for the game and, and what they're teaching and, and the hitting stuff. I mean, you could tell. Yeah, we're on Zoom. We can watch a face, but he just really lit up talking about that to the point where he got up out of his chair and was doing drills for us in the background. Which I know Eric caught some of that. So hopefully, we can get some of that out there on the social media channels. Um, but I, I think we've heard it before too about just you know controlling your load, being balanced within our feet um, is such an important thing to make. Whether it's you know evaluating current hitter or or a guy that you're looking to add for a program, um, but just looking looking at how guys' feet are and, and their balance and, and their takes. Yeah, I think you mentioned the take piece about how important you know it is to for guys to be comfortable in their takes and not be frantic and out of pace. Um, and then we talked about initial moves and forward moves and, and that, that forward move piece being, you know, occurring before you've made a swing decision yet. And I think we see with a lot of hitters that a lot of guys, you know, they'll stride to the pitch or their, you know, or the location and those type of things. And, and those guys might get lucky from time to time. Um, but the true sound hitters are making forward moves while they're making decisions on whether they're swinging or not. You know, when we talk about that, that yes, 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 no mentality, not the no yes or no, no mentality. You know, we're always loading with intent. We're always striding with intent um, to swing at a pitch, not to make a decision whether or not to hit a pitcher or not. But obviously different counts are going to dictate different things. But, um, you know, you can tell he has an aggressive hitter mentality and mindset within the guys he works with just based on some of those opinions and, and verbiages that he uses and, and yeah, just electric and really like to, to hear his excitement of things. And, and obviously a well-traveled guy that's gone through a lot that, you know, has a lot of experience and backgrounds and highs and lows that, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's really impressing on his hitters down there. Absolutely. And I wish we could release the post episode recordings that we have, because that's some of the, some of the good stuff we had going on, but no, I appreciate uh, coach CJ Baker coming on with us and, and loved, I took a page of notes here of just 
you know, there's always something we can learn. There's always something we can do better. And it may be just hearing things a different way. And, and you know, even the, the comment he said about the 60% swing can help a guy find the body path, his natural body path. And I think that's a, a huge thing to helping individual athletes succeed. And and you're right. I, it was kind of, it was fun to watch the, what he was talking about. And I, and I lit up with the, when he got the, the ball out to, to show the drills and what the connection balls and, and, you know, this is a lot of fun. You know, I we really appreciate you coming on, Coach, and and just so much. My mind's still racing, trying to unravel all this episode because yeah, that was just great. And a guy that truly loves what he's doing, and and you can tell guys that have gone the path that he's gone and in the coaching that he he loves what he's doing, and you can tell that because the guys are going to be his players are going to be appreciative of that because he's he's he knows what he's doing. He's put his time in, and uh, no, there's just a lot of great things to unpack from this episode. Yeah, guys, you know, having Coach Baker on was, is, was you know, wonderful. It was actually really uh, just good stuff. I mean, a lot of good information. Um, you know, I, I kind of take away from it, guys, is that even a, a low-income type of budget at a school, you, you can go get those tap balls real inexpensive. I think, Eric, you mentioned you can get them for like 30 bucks. you know, and, and you go out and get a couple of tap balls, and you can work on the whole load aspect and keeping yourself tight and, and extension out and, and doing all the proper steps to, in order to be successful on the field at the plate, you know, and, and I think a lot of us coaches sometimes think, well, I don't have the big budget. I don't have all the technos. I don't got the blast motion. I don't got this or that, you know, but simple things. I mean, everybody's got an iPhone, so you can pull that out. Great way to do video recording of your players. You can get the tap balls. I mean, there's just a lot of different methods that coaches out there that can get creative to be successful, you know, and I think that, you know, when, when a coach, um, illustrate, you know, uses those institutes those into his program, it shows by based on the numbers, you know, I mean, you look at Biola and their averages, you know, of course we haven't started the season, but last year being season cut short, they were on a roll, you know, I mean, coach Baker is doing uh, a tremendous job down there. He's, he knows his stuff. He's been super, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, a student of the game he's you know you know he's very humble at his approach to learn and i think that's what it takes for a coach to be successful sometimes we have to kind of cut our pride down and say you know i just don't know how you know and how do you do it you know and you know the example of arkansas you know in the routines and those kind of things and you know the last thing i want to you know close it out here guys is i think about coaches and sacrifice you know you know, the, the sacrifice that all of us have to make at some point, you know, and, you know, I think coach Baker's done is a tremendous sacrifice to his success to where he's at. And I think we can each and all have stories to tell and talk about where we're gotten and where we're going. And, and, you know, I mean, I think about my family sacrifices a lot. I know Eric, you do the same and Kelly, you're the same thing, you know, our family sacrifice to, to what we are trying to achieve with our, our players and, and, and trying to, at the end of the day, trying to get those W's on the, on the board. So it was a solid night tonight, guys. Absolutely. I think the big goal of this episode or this podcast in general is 1% better each, each episode. And Amen. I know that uh, I feel that way too for tonight. So uh, guys, thank you for another episode of your Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner podcast. Please get on, follow us on Twitter at Fungo Banter PNW, uh, Facebook, Pacific Northwest Fungal Banner. Guys, we're enjoying. I'm seeing more reviews on iTunes. We really, really appreciate the people that are taking the time on, giving us five stars and giving us a review of what's going on. It, it helps uh, get the word out of the podcast. And, and like we asked last week, please share. Share with someone that may not have heard of us. Let's get the word out and, and really boost the Pacific Northwest and, and what's special we got going on there. Until next week, take care of one another. And let's get back to baseball. Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner is part of the Big Country Media Podcast Network. Check out all episodes anywhere you can get your podcast. And for you iTunes listeners, please get on and give us a rate and review. Keep up to date with us on Facebook at Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner and on Twitter at Fungo Banter PNW. 
Fungo Banner Podcast is powered by Devo Bats, the official bat and fungo of your Pacific Northwest Fungo Banner Podcast. Go check them out on all social media platforms and at devobats.com. Fungo Banner is also powered by Safeguard out of the Tri-Cities. We are proud to have them on board with us making the Fungo Banner gear. Guys, local company out of the Tri-Cities, please go online, check them out, trysafeguard.com for all your printing and advertising needs. 